Nothing surprising in my surroundings I'm finding the quietest estates these days Just representation of storm brewing Amazed that the focus remains The vocal focal point of my change Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast I'm your host, Matt Chittam And this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there Who are working hard to get better While balancing running with the rest of their lives we got a Coach's Corner episode for you today I'll tell you what One thing I've learned over the past six months is how much you guys love these episodes, especially now that we're really diving into hyper-focused niche topics. And within those topics, really subdividing into kind of like examples of different kinds of runners and people uh, and not painting with a broad brush, but really diving down into, you know, different scenarios. And that's exactly what Laura and Galliezo, Laura Galliezo and I are doing today. We're talking about recovering from a marathon for all different sorts of runners, right? From someone who's experiencing their first marathon off of not a huge amount of training to elite marathoners and exactly and what they go through and literally everything in between. This was so much fun. Um, what I'm going to do actually is something new. And I want to talk about this because this is going to be really exciting and really fun for me is that on Tuesday night, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, I'm going to go on the Wisdom app. This, uh, this app is new. It's just launching now. I'm really excited about it. Basically, it's like uh, Clubhouse. If you ever have uh, experienced Clubhouse or you've read about it, it basically allows me to go on there, talk about a topic, and have interaction with people listening in. And it really is uh, a much better way of doing, say, an Instagram Live or a Clubhouse. And I'm really excited about it. It's it's Wisdom, W-I-S-D-O-M. Go into the App Store, get the app so that on Tuesday at 8 p.m., you can join me. We're going to do kind of like a Coach's Corner uh, thing. We're going to talk about tapering. Uh, We're going to basically do a follow-up to this episode. So if you have any questions, you want to talk about certain things, or you want to hear me pontificate on on tapering and the tapering I'm going through and and all sorts of things, and we can also open it up to just general question and answer as well, please do that. I'm going to do this more often over on Wisdom. It's uh, something that I'm just really interested in because having the kind of give and take uh, atmosphere for these kinds of topics, I think is really valuable. And I've just struggled with the right place to do it. And I think this might work and I'm really excited about it. So again, go to the Wisdom app for Tuesday, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I'm going to post all about it over on on Instagram as well. And I'll include a link to the app in the app store uh, in the uh, the show notes of this episode. Now, before we get into it with Laura Galliezo, I do want to say the last 10 minutes we talk about Patriots Bills because she is a diehard Bills fan. I'm a diehard Patriots fan. Uh, I think it was last year she, you know, She's just throwing a lot of smack talk around at me, um, throwing lots of text messages my way. Bills were having a great year. Patriots were not. So we had to talk before these these uh, next couple of games because the fortunes of both of these teams are constantly in flux, and this is going to be a lot of fun. And I know Laura is so diehard about football, so I couldn't wait to get into it. So that is the last 10 minutes. We saved it for the end in case you have no interest in that. But who knows? Maybe you're only, you're only tuning in for the football talk, in which case you can fast forward to the end. That's always fun. All right, before we get into it, I will say big shout-out to Brio. You've heard me talk about Brio so often, and for good reason. I love their recovery devices, 100%. I'm going to CIM in three days, four days, and I will be taking the mini massage gun with me. You better believe it. Uh, Not only for warming up, but also for recovering. I love that little sucker. It is so good and so inexpensive, Um, but high quality, man. Boy, does it hold its charge. It is unbelievable. I'm not taking the charger with me. Like, no, no need. No need. I charged it two weeks ago. It's going to be totally fine. (laughs) Not, Not a worry in the world. Also, the foot massager is out of this world. Truly, it is just unbelievable. If you want massaged feet, there's no better place. No question about it. Go over to us.brio, that's B-R-E-O dot com today forward slash Rambling Runner to save 20% at checkout. That's a huge number, right? If you get both of those items, it'll cost you about 200 bucks. Use the code, you save $40 in high, high quality stuff for you or your loved ones. It is the gift giving season after all. Again, us.brio.com forward slash Rambling Runner. Save 20%. You can find the link for that in the show notes as well. Now let's get into this Coach's Corner episode with Laura Galliezo. Laura Galliezo, welcome to a Coach's Corner episode of the Rambling Runner podcast. You are no stranger to this podcast. You've been on it before. You had a different name back when you were on it the last time. You were Laura Anderson. 
kicking butt, winning marathons. And we're excited to have you back as a fellow McCurdy trained coach. You are an excellent coach, and I cannot wait to dive into this topic with you. Hi, Matt. Great to be back. And yeah, it's been a while. Things are a little different, different name, another kid, life changes, but glad to be back. This is going to be fun. Before we get into it, though, I do want to spring this on you. We did not talk about this in the rundown before we hopped on the podcast. Talk about racing. You raced. You raced this weekend. This was huge. I did. Um, I decided to jump in a turkey trot yesterday. Well, I decided like a week or two ago, I was thinking about it and saw that registration was going to sell out for our local race that is literally a mile from my house. So it's super convenient. Um, I'm eight and a half weeks postpartum. So it was really like scary, fun and exciting of no pressure. I've only been running again for a few weeks. So decided it would be good rust buster, uh, especially after going and cheering at Philly Marathon last weekend. I was super hyped up, motivated, inspired by my athletes and all the other runners that I saw. Um, so yeah, decided to do the turkey trot and ran there as my warm up. And that's the best kind of warm up. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. And then I ran the cool down to my in laws because the race actually takes place between my house and my in laws' house. Does that so mean I, you have to like do you have to like have like throw like clothes for later with your husband? Do you carry him in a backpack? Like, what's the move there? Yeah. So I sent my husband with both kids and the bags of stuff to go to his parents' house because they live actually on the course. So he would be out there cheering, but I sent him with my stuff, but it just made sense. And then we didn't have two vehicles and they could be out there cheering. Oh, that's fun. That's exciting. So any, did, let me put it this way. You're pushing, you're running, you know, you're, you're postpartum. So it's kind of like, how hard do you push? But also the place where you're going is on the course. Any hesitancy to maybe stop there on the right, on the route? Or do you, or, or do you push through without even a second, a second thought? Didn't even think about stopping. Um, I felt really good. I think it was a combination of race day adrenaline as well as there's just so much muscle memory that goes into it of, okay, no, I didn't run, you know, anywhere close to like my PR for this course. Not that I expected to, but like there's so much muscle memory of just running at that faster effort, the harder effort, um, so just kind of went with it and was happy to give my daughter a high five when I ran by there. Um, but yeah, it was very low stress, low pressure, just have fun with it. And I had kind of two goals when I went into it. And one of them was I thought I could break eight minute pace, which I did. Um, that was just a random arbitrary goal. And then the other goal was to crush the souls of some high school boys who went out too fast and walk the last mile because it happens every time. Um, Wait, high school kids? <laughs> yes. I mean, I've seen like 10 year olds do that. I didn't know high school kids walked the last mile going out too hard. Oh, yeah. The, uh, you definitely see it, especially at this race, because it's the turkey drive. It's Thanksgiving. You get families. You've got high school kids, everybody. Um so that was my other unofficial goal was to kind of crush the soul of some people walking in the last mile, <laughs> which sounds awful because I'm a coach and I encourage people. But there's also something fun about passing people in the last mile, no matter where you are. No, crushing souls is awesome. I, I don't know. Now they're really getting into the weeds here. <laughs> have you ever listened to the book or read the book Good to Great by Jim Collins? I have not. Okay, so this is the book that kind of like popularized the idea of the BHAG, the big, hairy, audacious goal, which so many people know, you know, not only in the business world, but this was a business book, but also in the athletic world, especially in our world, right? The big, hairy, audacious goal, the, the amazing marathon time we want to get or whatever, the three to five, three to five year out goal that so many people strive for. Anyway, in the, the last like chapter, or maybe it's even the epilogue, he talks about how and in his own little sphere of the area he lives in, he delves into the athletic side because I guess like there's a cross country coach like in his town in Colorado where like for them, the key was, hey, 
what we do is we crush souls at the ends of races. So it was like this, like women's, like this women's cross country team, you know, girls, whatever, you know, for high school, high school age women. And they, I, I always mix up on the term. So it was go with girls, high school age girls, the females in the team, their whole point was at the end of a race, at the end of a workout, that's when we run hard. So what they would do is at a race, they would get a little like mini like skull, the side of like a bead, for every person they passed in the last mile for the whole season. So then they would wear the necklaces to the races. And that's what they would call like crushing souls anyway. I absolutely love that. So coaching tip for anyone who's doing the high school thing. Um. <laughs> but it's funny because I, you know. I think it's a David Goggins thing too, I should say. I think he also mentions it in his book. Probably so. Um, but I mean, I put it in athletes race plans all the time. I want you passing as many people as possible in that last mile. Crush the souls of the people who didn't pace, who went out too fast, who didn't fuel properly. All those things. It's in 99% of race plans, whether the person is racing or just running for fun, it's I want you beating as many people at the end as possible. That's exciting. All right. We got to get you on next time for like how to approach race day. That'll be a fun <laughs> conversation. However, we're going the opposite today. We're yes. talking about recovery from races. So you got to recover from a race by eating all the food on Thanksgiving dinner and watching your beloved Bills, which we will end the conversation talking football because we have to. I still cannot forget the time where you were trash talking me over text message between a, a, pay, a Bills Patriots game while I'm walking through the gap trying to buy my daughter a winter coat and you're just heckling me about a Bills Patriots game. So we need to we need to hash that out. But before we get there, let's talk about marathon recovery because tis the season. So many marathons going on right now. So many people doing all sorts of marathon experiences. And we're going to touch on as many different kinds of situations as we can really niche down into different kinds of topics. So these are in no particular order. But I did send these to Laura ahead of time, so she has thought about these for a few days now, especially since we've pushed the podcast three <laughs> consecutive days. But here we are, making it happen. First one, the first-time marathoner with limited running background. So kind of not really like couch to marathon, but that kind of person, someone who's newer to running, got into it. I want to complete a marathon, but this was a tall task. Just finishing the race at any pace was a huge challenge and kudos to them for doing it, right? We're talking about the person who's probably running 25 to 30 miles a week, fitting it in with their life, did the marathon, completed it. Let's talk about that, that person's kind of recovery plan. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I'll start by saying my little like, I don't know if it would be a disclaimer or what, but for me, I think it's important with any of my athletes of whether you're a first time marathoner or a, somebody who's done 20 of them, there's a lot of things to take into account. You have to take in the time on feet. Somebody can be a first time marathoner like Molly Seidel and, you know, her time on feet's a lot less than the first time marathoner of somebody running a four plus hour marathon. So you have to take time and time on feet into account. Obviously, Molly Seidel is running way more than 20 miles a week. Um, but you understand what I'm saying. Um, you know, your first time at anything, you have to think about what went into it. It's not just about the race. Um, the training, like you said. So somebody's running 25 to 30 miles a week, things with their recovery and first timers. I think it's really important. First timers probably more susceptible to the post marathon blues, um, the letdown of they haven't experienced that before. Um, so I think the mental aspect is going to be really important with a first time marathoner. Um, and I think the best things to really do with that is to give yourself a lot of grace and have someone you can talk to after, whether it be if you have a coach or a friend who also ran the marathon or who's run one before, but kind of having a support buddy, you can ask questions to who you can talk to and bounce ideas off of or somebody to tell you, hey, it's normal if you feel like garbage. It's normal if you want to eat all of the things. It's normal if you can't even think about running again, you know, because I definitely remember after my first like 
so excited. And that really was me. I think I ran maybe 20 to 35 miles a week for my first, depending on the week. Like I was very inconsistent. Um, that makes two of us. Same thing. Yeah. Like, so I can, I was that person for my first and the desire to run again wasn't quite there right away. And that's normal. I think just taking the stigma out of like, it's okay to not want to run right away. Even, you know, even if you're excited and you know, you eventually want to do another, it's in general, I feel like social media sometimes makes it seem like you're not a real runner. If you don't immediately want to run again, or if you don't have an immediate goal right after, it's okay to take a step back and not run and shift your focus to other things for a little bit. And I think that's especially true for some newer marathoners of you don't realize how much it takes out of you, not just the race, but the training that goes into it. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, if you're putting in, if you're doing a race that is roughly the equivalent of your weekly mileage for a sustained period of time leading into that race, you know, you're going to you're, you're going to be pretty banged up afterwards, even if even if race day went really well, like there's a pretty good chance that you're going to be pretty banged up. Um, no different than if someone takes a huge step up and runs like a 50 mile ultra marathon, you know, and, 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 you know, is doing it on like 35 to 40 miles a week, right? Like the same sort of experience. And I would say, Hey, you don't feel great. Totally understandable. Right. So like that's, that's understandable. Obviously if you're, there's a difference between discomfort and injury. And if you're injured, well, then we're having a completely different conversation. Right. But, um, you know, so, so take it, take, all right, I don't feel great. I feel like, I feel like garbage. I go outside to go for a little mini jaw like a week afterwards. Like, yeah, like it, it probably is not going to feel great. Like I would say like ease into it with like, maybe like, you know, first of all, take like a week off. Absolutely. Just, At least a week off. No running. And then maybe even after that, like a little bit of biking active walking type stuff like you just did something that was way past what not what you were prepared for but way way past where you were going you know in terms of like your your previous high from a marathon and time on feet perspective so you really have to kind of ease back in nice and gentle um and just give yourself a ton of grace absolutely and i think you know you get you give yourself grace and i think you also need to look at you know how things went. Um, and I think this is important. Even if somebody runs one marathon and says they never want to run one again, it, I have said so many times to athletes and to myself after races, like, look at what went well, what you could have done differently. Um, and that also plays into your recovery. You could give two athletes the exact same training and they run the exact same time, but how did they run that time? Did one of them fuel properly um, and have adequate nutrition? If you are better fueled during your marathon, you're going to recover better after. Um, you They could run the same time, but somebody ran the first half way too fast and then bonked the second half. They're probably going to have a harder recovery time because of how that race went you there's so many different ways to get to the same time or the same finish line whether it be negative splitting positive splitting running with good fuel running you know without fuel at all um and the combination of all of those things plays a huge role in how you're going to recover right as does you know the day or two after and i think that you know, and maybe we should have started with just like general principles here. Maybe we'll just dive into it now. Like no matter who you are, there might be just some general principles of like, hey, these are things that our brush practices, our best practices, there we go, that are, um, you know, things that we want, always want to take, in, take advantage of or keep in mind. And I think, you know, you mentioned a couple of them, you know, besides like, hey, the proper way of fueling during a race. And, you know, there's certainly, we've touched on this on this podcast before, so we don't have to dive fully into that. Um, but basically have as much during the marathon as you can handle. Yes. Right. You're going to be in a calorie deficit anyway. Eat as much goose or whatever works for your belly as you can possibly fit in there without having GI distress. Like just do that. Yes. With that being said, the 36 hours after the race, man, eat all the food. Do it. Like, th now is not the time to be keto-friendly, any of that nonsense. Have a beer. Have a glass of wine. I don't care. But fuel. Get 
calories and hydration, you know, it's the fluids, um, all the nutrition, and it's going to be hard. I think some people, your first time marathoner especially may not know this, is it's going to be hard, especially that first 12 hours. You may not even be hungry right away. Like I remember going out to like lunch or something after my first marathon and I think I ate like two bites and then I felt like, no, I don't feel good. Like it's usually the day after when the hunger really, really, really kicks in. Um, but forcing yourself, I, I mean, it sounds weird to say force yourself to eat, but like forcing yourself to eat some things at least, even if it's a simple piece of toast. Um, it doesn't have to be solid foods, right? There's like you can do li- the whole liquid calorie thing. Absolutely. If that's better for you, like just, you know, you need to get the calories in. You need to get the calories in um, and sooner rather than later. But if you can't handle it for a couple hours, that's fine, too. You know, your stomach just took a beating for a marathon and all of the concentrated uh, calories that gels are. Gels and run fuel in general, it's so concentrated, like it can wreak havoc on your stomach. Even if you trained with it, it's, it's normal to kind of feel little yucky for lack of a better word for a little while after the marathon. And especially also because the blood flow is going to shoot to your legs away from your GI system and shoot to your legs because of every, all the miles and that you just put in. So it's so common for the GI distress because all of the blood flow is going away from your GI system. Um, and that's where rehydrating as best as you possibly can is going to help shift that around. Right. Let's talk about massage, whether we're, someone's getting a sports massage, someone they work with, or someone has like little like, I got the mini massage gun. Yeah, I, they sponsored this podcast, so, but but I I had it anyway before they sponsored the podcast. Like Brio has like the mini massage guns, which which are super helpful. Again, this is not necessarily pace or fitness specific, but I think that this can play a huge role in recovery as well. Yeah, I think uh, having the massage tools and massage guns to help kind of get the blood flow going again, whether compression socks, compression sleeves. There's so many different ways you can go about it. Um, I've personally actually never used one of the massage guns, um, which probably sounds funny because I've been doing this for a long time. Um, I have used uh, like the recovery boots and things like that, which is a similar concept. Um, but doing those things just to kind of get the blood flow going, get things moving. I think my only caution with that is not to overdo it, especially right immediately after the race because you could actually do more damage um kind of let things settle at least a little bit first um and not overdo it i guess yeah and even even with workouts like you don't want to take the recovery massage thing out like right away usually give it a little bit of time for race even a little bit more i love it for for even warm up Mm -hmm. getting ready you know especially like called the glutes the glute area (laughs) term of art everybody has everybody has their uh their problem child is what i refer to it as everybody has their one spot that they need a little extra time to recover mine was my calves for years of i needed to massage them use heating pads on them before races especially on colder days we all have those special areas all right let's move to the next one First-time marathoners who have a more extensive running background. So people who jump to the marathon after doing a lot of training, they've done a lot of other kinds of races. So they're not they're not you they're they're not new to the kind of mileage that you'd want in a marathon buildup, but just the race itself is new. And let me just before you jump in here, I just want to say the one thing the one thing that I happen to see with a lot of runners who fall into this category is that these are the ones who, once the race finishes, are like about to hop on their phone and start signing up for more races. I feel like they're the ones who are like, hell yeah, I want to do this baby again. Absolutely. And again, if I speak from my own personal experience, I look at, hey, my second marathon, you know, I trained, I trained more for it. And I set a PR, didn't accomplish what I wanted, which was qualifying for Boston. This was 10 years ago. Um, immediately signed up for a race that night. That night, 
that night and i was you still had burger juice running down your chin from from the from the bar as you're signing up for that race and i was wrecked i mean i was physically and emotionally <laughs> wrecked but i signed up for another one it must have been maybe 8 or 10 weeks later oh wow like oh yeah i've definitely been that person so i can speak from experience on the positives and negatives of that um well let's talk about that because that's exactly where i was gonna go was like the time because we know this group is more likely to be like okay let's do it again so let's talk about time frame because this can mean again we can dive into certain kinds of people but you know we don't have to paint with a broad brush here we can kind of lay out specifics for different kinds of people and people with different kinds of backgrounds and things like that yeah, I think, you know, like you were saying, this if we're talking about somebody who it was their first time marathon, but they've trained a little bit more, um, I think there's also the idea when somebody has done a little bit more of an extensive background, they are more likely to want to jump back into things quicker. Um, and I think they are also more susceptible to what I would look at, like if I think about my second one, um, but similar idea of, I want my redemption race. They're more likely that I put in this work. I didn't get exactly what I wanted, so I'm going to do it again. I think they're more susceptible to the rebound, um, the rebound marathon of, I want to do it again. Um, whether, even if they met their goal, they're like, oh, I did the work and I, they are more likely to see that the work that they did got X. Um, right. Like they, they know what went wrong. They're like, yes. I did the training. I have this one little thing. If I fix this thing, this whole, like the silver bullet solution. Exactly. Um, so they're more susceptible, I think, to some of those types of things. Um, so definitely been there, done that, had athletes who, you know, text me after, call me after and, I want to do this immediately. And it's like, okay, take a step back um, and let's not do anything rash, like sign up for another marathon that night. Probably not my smartest move when I've done that before. Um, but I've also considered it after 90% of my marathon since then of you get done and you immediately think about what's next. Um and regardless of if it's your first marathon, your 30th marathon, um, whether you're a newbie or you trained 50, 60 miles a week, I think one thing that's really important that I've learned to embrace over the years is don't get so focused on the next thing that you forget to celebrate what you just accomplished. Um, you know, I, I literally just put in a text or a note or whatever to one of my athletes who just ran Philly and I said, Hey, I want you still celebrating, you know, what you accomplished this past weekend, a big PR, first time Boston qualifier, all this. I want you to think about and be celebrating right now, but then start to think about what's next. But I know myself for so many years, I kept focusing on what was next that I wasn't celebrating what you just accomplished. And I think celebrating the training and the race is an important part of marathon recovery. That's a great point. And celebrating doesn't have to be correlated with hitting your goals. Right. And I think that's also an important thing to understand because completing a marathon can be something that is overlooked as a goal in and of, as, as a major accomplishment in and of itself once a runner has reached a certain point. It's like, okay, yeah, but I didn't do X, Y, Z and so on and so forth. It's like, listen, what you did isn't simply about race day. You went through this whole cycle. You dedicated all this time, all this energy. Did race day go perfectly well? Well, let me tell you, this spoiler alert, it's never going to go perfectly well. Okay? So if you're waiting for that moment to celebrate, well, then you just go give the champagne to somebody else because it's never going to happen. I don't want a perfect race because then what do you work for? It's almost like, okay, you get a, like, it's never going to happen. But like, you don't, I wouldn't want the perfect race because then it's like, well, wait, it's the thrill of the chase. I, I've said this to multiple athletes, especially recently as, hey, you didn't reach your goal and you're disappointed. And that's what makes you an athlete of it's the thrill of the chase. And I'm recently uh, rereading the passion paradox and, you know, just talking about how 
that dopamine is released because of the chase, not the outcome. You know, athletes thrive on the chase. So why would we, I don't want the perfect race because I, I, I like the idea of changing things, what works, what doesn't, figuring it out. That's, you get the runner's high from that. Right. And that, and kind of like leads us into like the next group, like the person who's like running the, running the marathon for fun. Right. Like, all right. Like basically treating it as like a really hardcore long run workout. Right. But something that's that's pretty low key. Those people don't have any trouble celebrating the race. Right. So if you are in the previous category who laid it all on the line, you went as hard as you could. Did you make some mistakes? Okay. Did things not go how you'd planned? Sure. But you went as hard as you can on that day. Celebrate, man, because this other person who is just, you know, going out to have fun, going to have a great experience, they're celebrating as they should be too. So you are no less worthy of a celebratory moment, day, week, whatever, than anybody else. Well, and you completed a training cycle. You know, whether you raced it or ran it for fun, you went through months of training to get to that day. So that's something to celebrate. That's an accomplishment. But that's also something when you look at the recovery, you still have to think about because, you know, somebody could say, hey, it could be a three hour marathon or who ran a 330 or 345 or even a four hour marathon. And they say, well, I just ran it for fun. So I don't need to recover as hard. Well, that's time on feet you need to consider. That is also a training cycle. You went through months of training, whether that race happens, whether that's a PR or whether it's a fun run, you still have to think about recovering from that few months of training and the race itself. So I think even if you ran for fun, you still need to respect the marathon and respect the recovery from marathon training and the distance. For sure. For sure. All right. So go back real quick to the, the, the group we were talking about before, the first timers with a more extensive background. I will say they might be able to bounce back from the marathon or quicker than our first group because they've had uh, kind of their, their training has been more extensive and certainly for a longer period of time. I will say, well, you might be able to get back into running your normal five or six days a week within maybe seven to 10 days of the marathon, probably a good idea to keep it to easy running, maybe some light strides, but nothing too hardcore too early. Yes. All right. So just just keep it more on the lighter side. Yeah, absolutely. And for any for any group, but especially I think this group, because like we said, they're a little more susceptible to some of those bad habits or the jumping to the next thing is don't put a timeline on your recovery of don't be like, oh, I have to, it's been a week. Okay. I have to run on that next Monday, or I have to do this. Take a day to day. You might get through that first week and say, okay, I took a week off. I feel good. I'm going to start running again. Great. You might also get through that first week and get to that next Monday and be like, I don't want to run. Don't force it. Don't force that timeline. I think it's really important. You know, I've gotten you know, I've had chats with the athletes where they take that week off that I tell them to take and they're like, I don't want to run today. And I'm like, so don't. You don't need to force that timeline. I think that's when you start leaning towards the risk of injury, burnout, um, the just prolonging your recovery even more than if you just respected the process and the timeline. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So let's go into the celebration runners. I'm here to have fun. I'm here to have a good time. We see a lot of these people at Boston, right? Even this year, right? People are like, hey, I'm running Boston. This isn't a PR race for me. I'm just going to have the experience of it, which is a really exciting. It's a great place to be as a runner, but also changes the whole dynamic of what does how does this actually fit in my season? Because it might not be the culmination point like it is for many of the other people on that day. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, broken record here, but like we've been saying, like, it's not just the race, you've got to think about the training. So you think about everything that went into it. I do think if you did not go to the bottom of the well, so to speak, you can definitely start running sooner. You might 
you know, run a few days later, some easy runs, you might be able to get into, you know, a small mini workout or strides, maybe a week later, but still want to give yourself that time that first week, because it's still the time on feet, you still accomplished and covered the distance of 26.2 miles. That's still a lot. Um, But I do think, you know, if you didn't go to the bottom of the well, you fueled appropriately for being out there still, you're definitely going to bounce back a little bit quicker, but still don't want to force it. Yeah, I kind of I view it as like a great time to take a down week mm-hmm. in training. Like you might be able to run, you might even be able to take like your just your normal weekly schedule, like yeah. Day off, get back into it, but just view it as a down week. That I know some coaches like to do every six to eight weeks, have a down week. Maybe it's sixty to seventy percent of the normal training. Maybe dial it back to maybe forty to fifty percent. But um, you know, maybe no hard workouts or things like that. But you know, you can basically view it as like, hey, it's training for maybe a marathon, and that you're having in six weeks, right? So maybe Boston happens middle of October. You don't want to miss Boston, but you're doing CIM, which is six or seven weeks later. Cool. You know, give yourself really down week after that, and then you can kind of dive back in. Absolutely. You know, and I think we have a lot of people doing that this fall. Uh, due to the nature of the race schedule with uh, pandemic and all of that and having so many majors and so many big races this fall and so many races that are normally in the spring that got postponed. This fall race schedule was just, for an uh, to use an overused word from the last year, unprecedented fall of marathons especially. So I think we're seeing a lot of people double up and people who did Boston or Chicago uh, run easy, you know, run easy, run for fun to peak later for another race, which is amazing and fun. And I love seeing it, especially after, you know, having so few races last year. Um, Yeah. So you take a down week, but I think it's still important to make sure, like I said, you are resting a little bit more and still eating as if, you're recovering. You know, even when you have that down week in training every six to eight weeks, you still want to make sure you're eating. Don't drop your calories because you're dropping your miles. Keep your calories as if you're still running that amount because your body will absorb that extra fuel and thank you for it. You'll recover better. Right. Common theme here. Eat all the food you can. Eat all the food. I lovingly refer to the week after a marathon as the recovery week food tour. Um, and and this is if I this race. This is why people should do the Disney marathons. You could go to every little section of Epcot and eat all the food in every little, you know, every little city or every country that they have. You do 12 tours. Yeah. You know, you literally eat all the food of all the world. I do the tour to Rochester. And it's literally that week is all of my favorite takeout, all of the things that I'm not one to, for lack of a better word, restrict during training. Like if I want to go have a greasy burger or I want to have a drink, I'm going to do it. But do I take into account that I shouldn't eat certain things as much or the night before a race, whatever it might be? All of those things that I may limit during training, they get eaten that week after the race, you know, but I'm eating all of my favorite foods from my favorite restaurants, so much takeout. It's a very expensive week, Um, but it's the best week of food ever. And knowing that, hey, I that happened because I just accomplished another goal of running a marathon just makes it even sweeter when you're spending $20 on a Wegmans takeout box of the food by the pound. And speaking from experience, I've done that quite a few times. I love this because it's so niche that like many people are like, what, what was that sentence? (laughs) I don't understand anything that happened there. The whole Wegmans food (laughs) by the pound move. It's like, people like, I don't, what is Wegmans? I don't understand any of this. The food by the pound doesn't even happen anymore because of a lot of places aren't doing like your hot food bars because of germs and COVID. Um, but basically, my all the food, like you said, just all of the food after a marathon. I love it. All <laughs> right. So you're a podcast pro. You, you just 
perfectly laid the, the, the railroad tracks for us to continue down this tour and talk about runners who ran more than one fall marathon, because a lot of people are doing that right now. Actually, right before we hopped on, I was talking to Alexis McCoy, who's doing three. Three. Three, baby. She's badass. Boston, New York. And CIM, we'll see her next weekend, which will be a lot of fun. Um, and hey, tis the season. People had, they, they register for these races. They finally have a chance to do them, especially if they're a world marathon major. They're not going to pass up on that opportunity. And I completely understand the willingness to take on a huge challenge this fall, because why not? However, with this huge challenge comes the equal and opposite need to recover from that challenge. So let's talk about people. Like, again, you're not Alexis's coach. That's Sarah Bishop. So we don't talk about her specifically. But people like that, people listening to this podcast have heard her story. People like that who are going out there not only to – people are not going out there to have fun during these marathons. Again, they can certainly be enjoyable. But going with a purpose, with a plan, racing hard and doing it more than once, what does that mean from a recovery perspective? Okay. So, you know, you've done a few marathons. I actually had a friend who just did – uh, Philly this past weekend after running his first sub three just a few weeks before that he went sub three again um, and he's definitely taking some time off everybody's different you know you you're going to get the people who because they did a few they think they can just keep going when you really should still take some time off um I would recommend, you know, if you're doing two within a short period of time or three, depending on the person, you know, you're still going to need at least a week, if not more, of downtime, preferably time off of running, um, you know, that you did a lot of running and a lot of training to go into those races and give yourself, I would say, at least a week off. Um, preferably a little bit more. I know that when I've done multiples after the final race, usually ends up being a few weeks of I run when it fits. Maybe it's just those magical 30 minute runs, which a lot of marathoners don't necessarily love those like 30 minute runs because you're, we don't feel good. Unless they're part of doubles. Right. But a lot of people like, don't love 30 minute runs because you don't feel good when you're training for a marathon. It takes you that long to warm up into a run, but there is magic in 30 minute runs, especially for recovery. And I think easing in with some short runs, making sure you're, you know, refueling, rehydrating and something we haven't really talked about, but is so important sleep. I think especially for the people who did multiple marathons of if you didn't recover fully from each one and in between the others, you really need to make sure you're getting that fueling, that sleep, and that time off after that last race. Yeah, that's a great point. And you, you have these these major efforts. And you know this is something that maybe is universal, not just for this group, but they, they a lot of them are coming off these unbelievable experiences. And they're thinking like, all right, well, I want to capitalize on this fitness I gained, right? I went from like a 330, now I'm down to a 315. These are just arbitrary numbers, but they're round numbers, so they're easy to think about. And they're like, all right, but I want to you know, keep this going. What about these spring marathons, right? Like I just proved that I can do this. So why completely back off? And I, I, I want to just harken back to the idea of these stacking these training blocks is an enormous thing, no matter how the race went. And your fitness level isn't going to go away. And there's been so many studies on this point of even taking six weeks off. Again, that's not the idea. We're not, we're, not, not, we're not advocating that. However, even taking six weeks off after hard training, you can get the fitness back quickly, especially getting to where you were. And this is something that for athletes who have gone through this, the I say me ups, ups and downs in training for whatever reason, is that getting back to previous levels is exponentially easier than getting to new levels that you've never reached. So you'll be able to get back to that level faster than you may think, even if you take a lot of time off. Absolutely. I mean, you look at people coming back, even from injuries. I know we're not really talking about injuries. We're talking about recovery from the race itself. But, 
coming back from injuries, coming back from time off after races, coming back postpartum even. I mean, I can look at the race that I did yesterday. There's so much muscle memory and just experience that I could draw on to do those things. Your brain and your body will come back. You, it, I understand the natural tendency to be scared of the time off after a race um, because you're worried about it. But it will come back and it will come back so much faster than you think, even if you take that time off and or even if you just run easy for a month, two months, sometimes three months, depending on how you're feeling. Like sometimes you don't have the fire after a race to get the workouts in, but you want to run easy. But then all of a sudden you start throwing in some strides, some short fart licks. All of a sudden you jump in a race. You're probably not going to be as far off from where you were as you think you would be. Um, that, that muscle memory, that experience, that the training is still there. Yeah, so you'll be fine. You're going to be fine. Even if you take, say, say you say you like took out a calendar and said, all right, this is the ideal. I'm going to take X amount of days off, right? Between a dozen and two dozen days off, right? Even if like you were mandated, right? Laura Gagliazzo comes to your house and goes, no, you're adding seven days to the calendar. Whatever you chose, nothing would change. In fact, you'd probably be better off. So you're going to be fine. Nothing will change. It will not affect your fitness. And the fact that you stacked marathon effort on top of marathon effort and got out of it healthy, you know, God willing, then you're going to be totally fine. That didn't go anywhere. It's still now it's just potential energy in your system that will be expressed later on in the next cycle. Absolutely. And you have to think about the cumulative training, everything you've built up. You know, we always talk about the miles in the bank. Those those miles don't get taken out of there after you've run the races. They're still in there. You're still earning and saving and getting the dividends from all of that in the bank account. This is the person who worked in finance for too many years using the finance analogies. Um, but you're getting, you're getting the benefits of all of that training built on top of each other and just that compounding interest of the miles, the race experience. And the times that you've built, the workouts, they all just build and it's going to be there when you come back to it. Might take a little bit to access it, but it's going to be there. All right. So let's talk about the people sticking with your finance analogies <laughs> who, who, who took their money out of Apple after six months instead of <laughs> after 60 years. Um, the, the folks who, again, I, I make light of this, but, you know, that, that didn't have the marathon experience, but for a different reason. Maybe they had GI distress that all of a sudden they're walking through large sections of the race. Um, or one of my, one of the runners that I help, uh, Hannah Kramer, at a, at a water stop, she actually got hit by a Grubhub cyclist crossing the Chicago Marathon race course, ran over her foot and ankle, banged into her. In the last seven miles, she just like is helping other people on the course. She's a generous soul, racing go her way. She didn't pout. She like helped others. Great. She didn't have, just like with the first example with someone with GI distress, I'm sure there's dozens of other examples of people like this who didn't have maybe the last six to eight miles of the marathon experience that so many marathoners have, where that is really where so much of the accumulation of stress happens. And ultimately, while they may have finished, or maybe even some cases didn't, but let's just assume that they finished. So they went through the experience. It wasn't as stressful as the original intention was. So for these people, and I'll just jump in here just like as a way to kick this off. These are the people who like, I would, again, every person is different, but I would initially be like, all right, you're like a perfect example for like the Houston Marathon, right? Third week of January. We, we can take a little bit, you can, almost like the celebration marathoners. Like we'll take a down week, maybe down 10 days. But ultimately, this was just like a really hard long run. And let's think about what's potentially coming next. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this happens more often now than, or at least maybe it's just more talked about now because of social media. But you see these people of, wow, I had a bad day. So I decided to pull back and save myself because then I can jump in another race later on. And I think you're seeing more of those stories, um, which is great of people recognizing sometimes if something goes wrong, 
I mean, ideally, you're not getting hit by a cyclist in the middle of a race. (laughs) Um, This is like a reverse Tour de France. Like, you're getting hit by a cyclist instead of a cyclist getting hit. You can't make that stuff up. Um, She texted me during the race. She's like, what should I do? I just got hit by a girl. I was like, oh, my God, is this real life? This is insane. I wouldn't even know what to say other than, are you okay? Um, You know, that's the first thing. So I think, you know, say you're mid-race and... GI distress, or maybe it just gets really hot or it's super windy. Maybe the conditions just aren't great and you decide to pull back and save yourself. I think there's a lot to be said for that of you're definitely going to have a more experienced person do that. You're less likely to have some of the first timers or the people with a little bit less experience or training recognize when to save yourself. But the people who pull back, assuming it's not for a major injury that's going to need extensive time off, absolutely take that down week, give yourself a little recovery time, and then rebuild. You're you're stacking a training cycle and fitness on top of it and can actually see some huge benefits from something like that, as long as you still respect the recovery process for covering 26.2 miles. All right, last one before we get out, and these people may not even be listening to this episode because they've experienced this so many times, but the elite and sub-elite marathoners who, you know, who, who go through this process, they race really hard. This people like yourself, you've won marathons. So you you know you go you you know how this feels. What does recovery look like for these individuals? I think it's important to think about well, I guess if I look at say I'll pick two different races where I ran pretty much identical times, but I can think about the recovery was so different. Sometimes your best races are actually harder to come back from. The higher the high, the lower the low. Um, You have to think about the mental state after. Um, It took me a lot longer to come back after Buffalo Marathon um, than it did maybe some of the bad races. Because all of a sudden when things go so well, you're like, oh, wait, where's that motivation to keep going? Um, But I think much like it is for even a first-time runner, you have to think about, okay, how is your nutrition? How did things go? Which will help you determine your recovery. If I had a bad race and I know that it was because of fueling, I know I need to step up my nutrition recovery even more so to help refill those stores of electrolytes and calories and things like that. Um, I think it's important to still rest and recover, but really pay attention to your mental state, especially in the elite, sub-elite field, any level, but especially there where I think there's tends to be a bit more pressure from outside, internal pressure, but also outside pressure and giving yourself that grace afterwards of, okay, this went well, I could have done this differently, but not putting, not adding more pressure to keep going right away. Well said. All right, Laura, this concludes our recovery talk. If you don't like football, this is the time for you to press end on the podcast, because now we're going to talk about little game that's going to be great. Actually, two games coming up in the next couple weeks. The Patriots versus the Bills. Your hometown Bills. My hometown Patriots. And let's be honest here. At the beginning of this year, you and I would have never thought that this would be a topic of conversation in the end of November where we were going to be considering this even being a fruitful conversation. The Patriots were supposed to finish at the bottom, if not the bottom, second from the bottom the NFC in the AFC East. The Bills, runaway AFC champs, everyone agreed they were a, just a, you know, a force to be reckoned with, one of, if not the AFC favorite to make the Super Bowl. And after the first month of the season, nothing had changed. That was still the assumption. The Dolphins were struggling, but Patriots didn't look great either. And the Bills were just trucking along. Now, end of November... Things have changed. How are you feeling, Laura Galeazzo, about your hometown bills? Well, a little sad today. I had this conversation two days ago because I feel like it would have been maybe even more pessimistic than it could be right now. Um, no, because okay. Trey White tore his ACL and is out the rest of the year. That's right. I did see that. And that happened, well, last night, but we found that out today. So him being out the rest of the year. 
definitely puts a damper on things. But I mean, I can re- I can use running and football analogies with each other of like, okay, so the training cycle got a little rocky here. This season hasn't been great. You know, it hasn't been what we expected it to be. Um, but it's not over. All right. Let me ask you this question. So the before last night, really, the Bills hadn't beat any good teams. They had beat all the teams that they had beaten were not good teams, except for right at the beginning of the year. And then they'd beaten a lot of teams that they that they should beat, right? So you had this string of like, all right, it's almost like the Patriots 2019, where like the defense was super highly rated. But then you look at the count, the schedule, you're like, yeah, but I yeah, but and then like uh, I, and I lived this in 2018. They're like historic Patriots defense. You're like we've played nobody like we're a good defense, but we played nobody. And then the year ended like and we were exposed. And I, I feel like there's little bits of that this year with the bills. I feel like our problem has less been on the defense and more been on our offensive line. <laughs> and that's been a big struggle. And yeah, it's it's definitely been tough. And like you said, the things are getting exposed. And I think what's been frustrating as a fan is we can see how talented these players are. We have some of the best players in the league. They have it, but they're playing to the level of their opponents. We shouldn't have been beaten by the Jags. We shouldn't be, you know, barely winning in certain games against teams who've barely won anything. We shouldn't be like going through the, by the skin of our teeth. We're playing to the level of your opponents. Um, it, we shouldn't be playing down to the level. We should be so much further, but just like running, you say that should be, and there's a sense of entitlement and you still need to work. You still need to train. You still need to show up and play. And I feel like we haven't in some of these games and, They really need to show up when we play the Patriots because even though you guys don't have Tom Brady anymore, you still have Bill Belichick. And there's a lot to be said about that. And they need to show up. And I'm nervous about it. So Bill's Mafia is known for being super passionate, right? Great fan base, just known for their love of their team. Just, you know, they, they, they bring it. You're part of that. Absolutely. With that said, what's it like rooting for, again, and I've been there with the Patriots, where like rooting for a team that you feel like super talented, but not like overly balanced, right? Not a lot of different ways to win, right? It's kind of like, all right, this is our way. And if we get knocked off course, I don't know what's going to happen. It's frustrating. It's so frustrating because instead of bending, they just break. And you can't do that. And it's almost like having an athlete that they're so good, they're so talented, but they can't quite put all the pieces together so they haven't seen the race results. And so as a fan, when you're watching, I'm like, you know how good they are. You know they can do this. And then they fold under the pressure or they don't show up or something little goes wrong. And like you said, they only have one way to win. The Bills are very much a finesse team right now. and it's Which like, is hysterical, considering like the embodiment of the fan base is the exact opposite. Exact opposite. I mean, we're talking about breaking table, shotgunning beers, and spraying ketchup and mustard on somebody, but we have a finesse team. It's, it's the exact opposite, but that's what makes it fun. That's what makes it football any given Sunday. But they're such a finesse team. And then they they go against, you know, we go against these teams that have Derrick Henry, Jonathan Taylor. We have all these extreme and it exposes the flaws in our defense. Um, And that's so frustrating because you then we become armchair quarterbacks of we're yelling McDermott why are you doing this or we're yelling at our you know our offensive coordinator Dable what are you doing what is this play calling and we all think we know better than these people who get paid millions of dollars to make these decisions all right let me let, all right, then let, let me let me ask you a question because you can't do this all year long but as the season starts to you know the regular season starts to culminate and we start diving into the playoffs and the Bills you know Unless something, unless there's a catastrophe, the Bills will make the playoffs. They're super, they're, they're talented enough to do it. 
And now with the playoffs being expa- expanded, even more of a reason why they would be in the playoffs. So can you foresee a situation where, considering their running game is so paltry at this point, and Josh Allen, to, Josh Allen is so talented in so many areas that all of a sudden, maybe later in the year, they start incorporating him more in a designed running scheme than they are now, just as a way of picking up this other side, but maybe in like, hey, we can't do this all year long, but it's going to be kind of like an end of the year type experience. But that makes me nervous because doing that puts him more at risk. For sure. It puts him more at risk. Like, it's super fun to see Josh Allen doing a 15, 20 yard run and hurdle somebody. But I also. Well, he's a monster. He's a, he's a freaking monster. But I also end up holding my breath because I'm like, oh God, don't drop the ball. Don't hurt yourself. Get away from him. Just slide down. Go down on your feet. Like, go down on your knees. Like, you take a risk with that. Like, you, I feel like it's a necessary risk in some way because, like you said, we have to figure out something. And if that means Josh- as a Patriots fan, that's like what the one thing I don't want to see, which is like if you're a Bills fan, you're like, well, then maybe we should do it some more. But I understand, like, it's not a long term sustainable solution. No, it's not sustainable, and it's it's risky because do we risk all of a sudden somebody coming in and recognizing, okay, well, if Josh is going to run the ball, we've got to take Josh out. Somebody takes him out the right way, like. Yes, we have some awesome backup quarterbacks. I would still not want to see Trubisky in the playoffs versus Josh Allen. I want my starting quarterback, who the we've paid a lot of money for. We want to keep him healthy. And so, yeah, you have to do that. But risks come with it. And that's frustrating and scary as a fan because we're not in control. And we have to trust that the you know, the office is making the right calls with that. All right. If I had told you being the year that when the Bills and the Patriots played the first time and the Patriots were going to have a better record than the Bills and Josh Allen hadn't been hurt, what are the chances you would put on that? Like if I said, hey, like what are the odds or you could bet this or that? What do you think the chance of that happening? Because for me, I would have been like, there's no way you would need to give me like 10 to 1 21 odds for something like that because i did not foresee that happening i would not have seen it i would have told you you're crazy you're playing patriots are playing with a rookie quarterback who's a little little cocky arrogant guy who's probably going to get his ass handed to him i i don't even know what i would have put on the odds i would have bet on it and i would have lost i would be running something in some funny suit or doing something silly for whatever we had bet because I would have lost. All right. So what's the, so what's the confidence level right now for the Bills fans going into this? Is it two two games in three week type type stretch here? Bills Patriots. This is really going to decide the AFC East. What's what's the confidence level like? I'm still confident they can do it. I'm still confident that the Bills can win because they have more experience together. The Patriots has a lot more of the new people. You know, you've got Mac Jones. He's new. He's a rookie. He's Yeah, especially in offense. It's all new people. He doesn't have that experience, whereas at least a lot of our players have been playing together for at least, you know, the past year or more. And I think that gives the Bills an edge over the Patriots as there there's a lot more camaraderie and trust in between these players they have such a relationship and I think when you get into a heated rivalry like Bill's Patriots having that trust in your teammates is really 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 important so I'm still confident that the Bills can do it but I just know for a fact it's not going to be easy I don't expect it to go in and say oh we're gonna put a have the Patriots put up zero points it's not the case yeah, it's weird being this spot as a Patriots fan. Like, I can't remember the last time we were playing with house money. Like, into no, like, it's still November. We're like, we're playing with house money, baby. It doesn't matter. And I can't remember the last time it felt like that. I feel like even if they got a split, I feel like there's a big difference in a split if the Patriots win first. Yes. The first game. Because I feel like for the Bills right now, like, this first game is much more important to them than it is for the Patriots, just from a momentum perspective. Yeah, we need to come out ahead. You know, we we just had a bad loss, but we rebounded with a good win last night against New Orleans. I mean, granted, New Orleans is not 
a great team right now. They're playing with a ton of backups and all of that. But we need to come out ahead instead of feel like we're playing catch up. If the Bills are playing catch up and they need to win that second game, it's a lot more troublesome than it is if they come out strong, win that first game. I think it's very important that the Bills win that first game. All right. This is the first football segment we've ever had on the <laughs> Rambling Runner podcast. Nearly 400 episodes worth of shows. Long time coming. Couldn't have happened, couldn't have happened with a better person. Laura Galeazzo, <laughs> thank you so much for coming back on the show. Thank you for having me. Um, thank you for handling my little bit of rambling, but it is called the Rambling Runner podcast. <laughs> Laura, thank you so much for coming on the show. Again, follow up to this episode. Tuesday night, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 5 p.m. Pacific, over on the Wisdom app. We're going to do, again, touching base on a lot of these topics, do a little Q&A, a coach's corner, roundtable, not roundtable, me, you, we can call it a roundtable, that's fine. I don't know what size, what size the table is, what shape the table is. Either way, it's going to be a lot of fun, and I can't wait to do it. Again, link for that and for Brio over in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening. And lastly, I will say this. Laura and I both are coaches from McCurdy Trained. If you are looking for a coach or if you're looking to have a great fall marathon season and many seasons beyond that, now is the time to get started and doing with a coach. Not only does it or you kind of get to the, the, the highest level of a runner that you can be, which is a nice thing. It's another accountability mechanism. That's a big part for me. Also, you might have the ability to coach yourself, but it's so nice to delegate the responsibility to someone else so you're just not just walking around all day thinking about what kind of workouts you should be doing. Delegating that, freeing up your mental space for other things is also a huge positive. Go over to McCurdyTrained.com today. If you want more information or you want a chance to work with one of their really, really good coaches. And it's a privilege to be part of the group of coaches on there. So many unbelievable athletes and coaches. So thank you so much for listening and happy running. This has been a production of Rambling Runner Podcast. This podcast is produced by David Margetti of InPost Media. Thank you to Meta P for the music. His song, Righteous Path, featuring Rex Mayhem and Chip Fu, is produced by Symphonic Bang. Yeah. Enterprising in my surroundings, I'm finding the quietest estates these days. This representation of storm brewing amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my change. I'm trying to show this industry.